Amen. Thank you, praise team. What a great day it is to be in the house of the Lord. I'll be honest with you, I've been looking forward to this day all week long, and uh, I'm glad to be here today. I hope that you are as well. If you will, open your Bibles with me to Genesis in chapter 6. Let me remind you that last week we started this new sermon series covering the power of thanksgiving with the purpose of helping us to make the most of this wonderful season that we are in right now. You see, instead of jumping straight to Christmas, my hope is that we can spend a little time looking at the importance of thanksgiving and the power that comes with it. So far, we have seen from the story of Cain and Abel that a thankful heart is what leads to our offerings being accepted by God. And not only that, but acceptance is then what leads to God's presence. And in a very sequential order, we're moving today from Genesis chapter 4 on to Genesis chapter 6 to the next well-known story in the Bible, the story of Noah and the ark. You see, similar to Cain and Abel, we probably don't always automatically categorize Noah's story as a story of thankfulness. But as we will see today, thankfulness played a major part in Noah's life and in this story in particular. And so if last week's power of thanksgiving was God's presence, then today's power must be God's protection. So let me begin reading to you today here in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read to you a little bit of a lengthy passage of scripture, but follow along with me and let's recall this story together. Genesis chapter 6 beginning in verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 14, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side, You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Verse 22, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, So he did. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and now the preaching of his word. 
And from the beginning of just this story right here, I hope that you will draw the same conclusion that I have, that Noah was a pretty cool guy. Amen? Uh, He's just one of those guys that I can't wait to meet in heaven one day. I have so many things I want to talk to Noah about. You see, the scripture describes him here as a just man. And not only a just man, but it says that he was perfect in his generations. And I believe that these two descriptors were true because of the third descriptor where we find that Noah walked with God. I don't know about you, but I would love to be described or be known in that way that Mason walked with God. Don't you? Man, Noah walked with God. And so try to wrap your minds around this idea with me. I was thinking about it this week, and here's here's what hit me, okay? Noah loved God, right? And when God looked down here at this wicked world, and he decided to destroy it, guess what? There was one person, one person that caused him to momentarily restrain his anger and wrath so that there could be a way for that one person... Noah to be saved. Wow. And so God tells Noah what's going to happen. And from the very beginning to the very end of this story, there's another descriptor that is befitting of Noah. And that is obedience. Noah was fully obedient to God. And the main lesson that I hope we will see today is that obedience leads to God's protection. And I know full and well this is the point of the sermon where most of you are going to start tuning me out because of the fact we don't like to talk about obedience, do we? It's almost like a byword, isn't it? Uh, That word itself is like a high-pitched annoyance of a dog whistle for a dog going through obedience school, right? We don't like that word. But I hope that today we could put aside our wants or our feelings for just a moment to see its importance today in relation to the power of thanksgiving and God's protection in our lives. Oswald Chambers said it this way, The best measure of the spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. The best measure of your spiritual life is your obedience. I like what Eric Alexander said as well. He said, The evidence of knowing God is obeying God. The evidence of whether or not you really know God is whether or not you obey God. And Noah knew God. And because he knew God, we know that he also obeyed God. And so I think about that and I think, can you imagine how different things could have turned out if Noah wasn't obedient? I mean, what if he would have just altered the plans ever so slightly? Well, there's a chance we wouldn't be here today, would we? I mean, Noah had a very important part to play. The good news, though, is that Noah was obedient. He he did what God told him to do, exactly how God told him to do it. And maybe Noah had some questions. Maybe he had some doubts. Maybe he went through some times in his life where he wanted to make some excuses as to why he couldn't be a part of God's plan. In fact... As I read through this story, there are several different excuses that I could see myself or others making to try and justify our disobedience. And you know what? These kind of excuses that I'm thinking of wouldn't just be fitting for this situation with an earth-drowning flood, but with other plans that God has for us as well. 
And so today, as I share this list of excuses with you, I just want you to see, just think about it, do any of these sound familiar to you? Okay? List of excuses today. Number one, I don't understand. I just don't understand. You see, when God revealed to Noah that he was going to destroy the world, I am sure that Noah was shocked, to say the least. In other words, this was not the message that Noah was expecting to hear in his morning quiet time. But still, this was God's plan. And God had now told Noah his plan and the fact that Noah was going to play a very important role in the plan. And if Noah were to have treated God like we do sometimes then at this point, he would have dismissed this whole idea altogether. You mean I'm going to build a gigantic boat to save myself, my family, and all the different species of animals? He would have said, I I just don't understand what God's plan is. I don't really understand what God is wanting me to do. I really can't fathom that God has chosen to use me of all people. You see, just like how God had spoke his plan to Noah, we must remember today that God is still speaking plans to his people. He is still leading people to carry out his plans. And maybe today as we're talking about this topic, maybe there are times in your life, your Christian life, where you thought that maybe if you just treat God's plans with uncertainty, then he'll just move on and leave you alone. But still, you could classify yourself as being obedient because even though you're not doing what God is telling you to do, you're not doing the things that He told you not to do, right? And so you're still obedient. But the truth is that not being obedient to follow God's plans in your life is flat-out disobedience. Any way you look at it. It's like the young man who had gone to the Wednesday night Bible study and he heard his pastor sharing about listening and obeying God's voice. And the young man couldn't help but wonder, does God really still speak to people like that? He decided to go after service to eat with some of his friends and there as they were eating dinner they were talking back and forth and discussing whether or not God had ever spoken to them and and to his surprise several of his friends said that they had known of times in their life where God had led them to do different things. And so it was about 10 o'clock, and the young man uh, was leaving the restaurant. He gets and sits in his car, and he begins to pray. God, if you still speak to people, then speak to me. And I'll listen, and I will do my best to obey. The story goes that as he began to drive down the street, all of a sudden a thought came into his mind that said that he needed to stop and buy a gallon of milk. He shook his head and he began to say out loud, God, is that you? He didn't get a reply, of course, so he just continued to drive home. But not long after that, the thought came again, you need to stop and buy a gallon of milk. And so this time he said, okay, God, in case that really is you, I'm going to buy the milk. And really he thought to himself, it didn't seem like too hard of a test of obedience because whether or not God wanted him to buy the milk or not, he could use the milk at home. And so he stopped, he purchased a gallon of milk, and again he gets in his car and begins to drive home. 
As he passed 7th Street, he again felt an urge. This time saying that he needs to turn down that street. This is crazy, he thought, as he drove past the intersection. Again, he felt that he should have turned down 7th Street, so he gets to the next intersection, he whips it around, goes back the other way, and, and ends up turning down that street. He drove several blocks until finally he, he felt like he needed to stop. So he pulled over to the curb and he looked around. He, he noticed that he was in a semi-commercial area of town. And of course, at this time, all, all of the stores were closed. And of the few houses that were there, they were dark. And whether anyone wasn't home or they were already asleep, he didn't know. But he knew they were dark. But again, he sensed something. You need to go and give the milk to the people in the house across the street. The young man looked at the house. It was dark. <laughs> he did not want to go. But he started to open his car door. But again, he stayed in his seat and he said, Lord, this is insane. Those people are asleep and if I wake them up, they're going to be mad at me and I'm going to look stupid. One of the two. But again, he felt like he should go and give the milk. So he opens the door. He says, okay, God, if this is you, I'm going to go to the door. I'm going to give them the milk. And if you want me to look like a crazy person, okay, I will be obedient. But if they don't answer, I'm out of here. Mm. He walked across the street. He rang the bell. Immediately he heard some noise inside, and a man's voice calls out and says, Who is it? What do you want? The door opened before the young man could get away. <laughs> and the owner was standing there in his jeans and t-shirt. He looked like he had just gotten out of bed. He had a strange look on his face, and it really didn't seem like he was too happy to have some stranger standing on his doorstep. Nevertheless, the young man thrust out the milk. Here you go. <laughs> I brought this milk to you. The man took the milk and rushed down the hallway very quickly. From down the hall came a woman carrying the milk back towards the kitchen. And the man was now following her, no longer with the milk, but with a baby in his hand. And the baby was crying. He had tears streaming down his face, and he began to speak, half crying. He said, we were just praying. We had some big bills this month, and we were out of money. We had no money to buy milk for the baby. And I was just praying, asking God to show me how to get some milk. The woman yells out from the kitchen, I was praying for an angel to send some milk. Are you an angel? The young man was speechless. He reached into his wallet. He pulled out all the money he had. He put it in the man's hand. He turned around and made a beeline back to the car. Tears were streaming down his face. Because he writes saying that he now knew God still speaks to His people. And the truth is, church, God will still speak to us as well. If only we will listen. And really, I think that's the common problem. But we will quickly find that obedience involves taking God at His word. Get this. It doesn't matter whether or not you understand God's plan. What matters is whether or not God understands His plan. And He does. 
And so through faith, this excuse of I don't understand really does become invalid. But lest things become too easy, we might try to use another excuse. Something like number two, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to take a trip to Williamstown, Kentucky, which is the home of the famous Ark Encounter. And there, they have built a replica of what Noah's Ark looked like. And I'll tell you, after seeing it, I gained a whole new appreciation for this story because I'm telling you what, this thing was big. In typical God fashion, when he told Noah to go and build a boat, it was no dinghy, but it was bigger than many of our modern-day ships. It was huge. It was huge. And as we read here in chapter 6 of all of the specific dimensions of the ark, where we find that it was 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits tall, that's 150 yards long, people. 25 yards wide. You see, I can easily see how Noah could have begun to say to God, Man, this plan is great and all, but God, I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough wood. I don't have the right tools. Men like to use that excuse often. I don't have the manpower. I don't have the knowledge. And I sure don't have enough time. The list could go on and on. But stepping back and looking at it, I believe that sometimes the truth is is that we don't follow God's plans not because we don't have what it takes, but because we feel inadequate. We tend to think this crazy thought that when God chooses us to do something, He made the wrong choice. But in these moments, man, our problem is a whole lot less about a flaw in God's plan And a whole lot more about a flaw in our heads. Because our thinking is off to where we begin to see it as if God is giving us a job to do and then leaving us to do it all on our own. But thank the Lord He doesn't work that way. Because He knows that that type of system would cause us to fail. Big time. Instead, we know from His Word that God will supply the things that we need to carry out His plans. Think with me of 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. It says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. What about James chapter 1, verse 5? It says there, If any of you lacks wisdom, listen to me, if any of you lacks wisdom, You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Amen. You know, this excuse is a little different because when you give this kind of excuse, you know what? You're doing the right thing. Because we are correct in giving the excuse that we don't have what it takes. But Jesus does. He has it. Whatever it is that you need, He has it. And when He is living inside of us, this excuse becomes null and void. And the truth is, is that our name should be able to be inserted into verse 22. Remember there, I read to you, thus Noah did. 
according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Take Noah's name out and put yours in and see if that is a true statement. Because it can be. If only we will trust in him. But even when we know that God will provide for us, there's still the excuse of number three, possibly my favorite and one I like to use often. This is too hard. This is just flat out too hard. And if you've ever really thought about the miraculous nature of this story, you would see that for Noah and his sons to build the ark could really be likened unto the Egyptians building the pyramids. And that it was an extremely difficult task. It was back-breaking work. But even after that, after the boat was built, the story doesn't stop there, but after the boat was built, the boat also needed to be filled. And not with some lifeless cargo, but with at least two of every single cotton-picking kind of animal found upon the face of the earth. (laughs) And as much as this aspect of the story could fall under the previous excuse of I don't have what it takes, because Noah was not a veterinarian, he was not a zoologist, it really comes down to this task was really, really hard. Some would even call it impossible, right? But wouldn't you know, When God tells us to do something, He also gives us the power to do it. Sure, this task was unthinkable to man, but to God, it was easy. God says to the prophet in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? In church, the answer is a resounding No, there is nothing too difficult for him. So how could we ever say that things are too hard for us to do if they are the things that God is telling us to do? You see, in Noah's case, we find that the hard task turned out to be pretty simple. Skipping ahead a little bit to Genesis chapter 7, verse 15, it tells us there, And they went into the ark to Noah. Two by two of all flesh, which is the breath of life. He didn't have to get out his whip and go and round them up. No lasso involved. The animals came to him. And they literally walked right up the boat to him. Why? Because God is the God of all flesh. And he is in charge. But not only is he the God of all flesh, but you know what? God is the God of everything else as well. In fact, he is the God of heavy wooden doors. Did you know that? Don't you think there were times where Ham, Shem, or Japheth would come and ask their dad, Dad, how are we ever going to lift this door up? Have you ever thought about that? This thing was big. I'm telling you, this was a big boat. And it had a big door. And they were probably beginning to think, you know, I don't think a big hole in the side of our ark is going to do well in an earth-drowning flood. Hmm? So how are we going to close this thing? And once again, God came through. Because we read in Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, So those that entered 
male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded them. And the Lord shut them in. The Lord shut them in. God brought all of these wild animals together. And I mean, they were wild. But He made them behave. He made them walk two by two up a ramp as though, as though they were trained. And once they were all inside the boat, everybody had gotten in who was supposed to be there, He closed the door Himself. And all of a sudden, all of these things that seemed to be too hard quickly became too easy. And it was all because Noah was just obedient. And he followed God's plan. And God made all of these things come together just according to his will. So finally the rain starts. Noah was 500 years old when God gave him the plan. And now when he is 600 years old, the plan goes into effect. The waters rose for 40 days and everything was killed except for those who were safe in the ark. After the rains had finally stopped, the water stayed where it was and did not begin to recede for 150 days. And then when it did, just like a giant bathtub, the water begins to drain. And it takes seven months, seven months, before the ark can even touch anything under it. And then, even when it's touching something under it, guess where it lands? On top of the mountains of Ariat. And then it takes another three months before you can even see the tops of the mountains. I'm telling you, that's a big flood. That is something massive. And overall, Noah was 600 years old when the earth began to flood, and then he is 601 years old at all of the end of it. And with this being said, let me just throw in a side note real quick to say that God's plans take time. And God's plans work according to His time schedule and not ours. Noah needed a big ark because it was a big flood. And you know what? Big plans take more time. But in chapter 8, we finally see where Noah and his family are able to come back off of the ark. And so let me read to you here in Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 20 and going to the end of the chapter. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Verse 22. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And since that promise was spoken, it's been held true, right? As we come to the end of our time together this morning, I want you to notice something very important with me. Noah had never, never in his life, built a life-saving ark. So God had to give him detailed instructions, right? But as his family came off of the boat, the first thing that Noah does, without any instructions or any guidance, is build an altar and offer thanksgiving to God. 
And might I also point out that like Abel's, Noah's offering was accepted. And as God accepted his offering, it led to God making a protective promise to never destroy the earth again in the same way. Why? Because obedience leads to thanksgiving. And thanksgiving leads to God's protection. And so the point that we should take away from this wonderful ending is that Noah was already accustomed to offering gifts of thanksgiving to God. Remember with me, Noah walked with God, right? And I fully believe that a major part of walking with God is rendering thanksgiving to Him. But do you know what was even more pleasing to God than the soothing aroma from Noah's burnt sacrifice? It was Noah's constant state of obedience. As Amanda was washing her breakfast dishes, she looked out the window to see her five-year-old neighbor, Jimmy, heading straight for her back porch, where she had just finished putting a fresh coat of paint on the handrails. She ran to the door, and just before Jimmy began to run up the stairs, she shouted out to him, Come around to the front door, Jimmy. There's wet paint on those handrails. Five-year-old Jimmy says, I'll be careful. Not altering his path. No, Jimmy, don't come up those steps, Amanda ordered, knowing of Jimmy's tendency to mess things up. I'll be careful, he said again, by now dangerously close to those steps. Jimmy, stop, Amanda shouted. I don't want carefulness. I want obedience. And as the words burst from her mouth, she suddenly remembered Samuel's words to King Saul when he said to obey is better than sacrifice. Not knowing how Jimmy would react, Amanda was pleased to see how Jimmy stopped right in his tracks. He responded by saying, all right, I'll go to the front door. And as he turned to go around the house, Amanda thought to herself, how often am I like Saul? Or like Jimmy, wanting to go my own way. I say to God, I'll be careful, Lord, as I proceed with my own plans. But God doesn't want carefulness. God wants obedience. Why? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. Are you living in obedience to God? Really, think about it. Are you living in obedience to God? Or are you still using the same old excuses, saying that you don't understand the plan, that you don't have what it takes, that His ways are just too hard for you to follow? Let us be reminded today, God only needs a willing vessel that is obedient to Him. And that obedience... It's going to lead to thankfulness. And that thankfulness will lead to God's protection in your life. Would you pray with me this morning? God of the heavens and the earth, God of all flesh, we pray to you today, asking that you would speak to our hearts in a way as only you can.
God, thank you for loving us. And thank you for wanting to use us even though we are far from worthy. I thank you today for having a plan for each of our lives and that this plan that you have will make our lives matter for something more than our own selfish gains. And so would you help us today and every day to hear your voice louder and clearer than the poor excuses that we try to make. Would you help us to do what you're guiding us to do? Today we want to offer thanksgiving to you because we want your protection in our lives. But before we do, Father, would you reveal to us the truth that what you want more than our sacrifice is our obedience. And may we, in return, offer complete and total obedience in all areas of our lives. Well, we ask these things today in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.